Well, now you're just stuck with me. Are you ready? All right. I'm sorry I don't have a cool video. I don't have a cool video this, uh, this week, but I'm back here in person. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, as we look at faith versus works. Faith versus works. I'll never forget when we went to... Niagara Falls. Anybody ever heard of that place? Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? And something struck me. As much as the falls were amazing, I also thought it was amazing the river, the water before the falls. What fast and violent rapids led up to the falls. And I'm reminded of a story told many, many years ago by Charles Spurgeon. And he told the story of two guys in a boat caught in severe rapids. So I immediately am visual and I go to that, those rapids leading up to Niagara Falls. But he, he of course, uh, I don't think ever visited Niagara Falls. But he tells a story about two guys in a boat and they're in peril and they're headed down the rapids, headed for the, the falls. And as they hurtled towards the falls, there were men on shore who thought to toss them a rope to try to save them. And one man in the boat reached and grabbed onto the rope and he was saved. But the other man panicked, according to the story, and he grabbed a log floating by. That was a fatal mistake. What a contrast to grabbing the rope and being saved and grabbing the log that was floating by. The guy who grabbed onto the rope was pulled to the shore because the rope, why? Because the rope was connected to the shore. The rope was connected to those men trying to rescue him. And the man who clung onto the log plummeted downstream over the falls, never to be found because he was not connected to anything. I think this gives us a picture of faith and works or the law. You see, faith is like grabbing that rope from the shore. It's our saving connection to Jesus Christ. He offers us that rope, and we can grab onto that. We can be connected. We can place our trust in him and be connected to him. And then the opposite of that, of course, is the good works as it relates to salvation. It's like grabbing the log and just watching it carry people to their doom. So today in Galatians 3, we're going to look at the tension, the contrast between faith and works, or the law, these are interchangeable today, as they relate to salvation, all right? Don't come up to me afterward and, and present the book of James to me. I know the book of James. I love it. It's very practical. But Paul is speaking here in the realm of salvation. Uh, what is, does faith have anything to do with it? Do works have anything to do with it? So we look at it related to salvation. Remember the Judaizers. You remember those folks? We've talked about them some. We have the Judaizers, and they continue to emphasize salvation by works. And Paul argues here uh, that faith in Christ, Christ, the one who saves, is superior to obedience to the law, which isn't even possible. So I've got an old quote from you. I had an old story. Here's the old quote. It's from a guy named John Calvin, and here it is. I want to read it to you. It's very convicting and very instructive, I believe, to us today. He says this, The role of the law is to show us 
the disease in such a way that it shows us no hope of a cure. Whereas the role of the gospel is to bring a remedy to those who are past hope. I want to tell you something this morning. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter what decade you were saved in, we need to remember that we were sinners lost without any hope. Is that not true? That is true. And God's free gospel burst into our lives and gave us this opportunity to have right relationship with him. So I'd ask you today, where's your hope today? Where is your hope? If you're watching online today, just think for a moment. Where is your hope? What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to a rope or a log? So we're in chapter 3, and chapter 3 begins a new section of Galatians. Uh, it's the theological portion of the letter, or the doctrine portion of the letter. It's really a two-chapter defense of grace, so we're making a switch here, Paul is. And remember, every time I refer to, to Paul or writing the letter, it's under the inspiration and guidance of God himself. Remember, Scripture is what? God breathed. The life of God is in it. So let's jump in and look at uh, chapter 3, verse 14 verses. It starts off with a bang. You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the words of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, so understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the good news to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. You seeing a pattern here? I am. Verse 10. For all who rely on on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by, what's the word? Faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. And Christ Look at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we, put your name in there, Lamar, us, so that we, so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray. God, speak to us today from your word. Maybe remind us some things that we already know, cement things in our lives. Perhaps if this is new, teach us 
what it means to follow you. In your name we pray, amen. Here's the big idea today, church, it's this. Grace is found in God's free gospel. I think you've gotten that. I've been saying that just about every week. And that grace found in the gospel is superior to the law. Because law demands works, grace requires faith. And we want to think about that today in the process of of salvation. So in verses 1 through 5, what what I've entitled this section is Questions, Questions. What we have is we start with a dramatic question. Actually, we start with a statement before the dramatic question. And then we're going to have four rhetorical questions that Paul is writing here. So listen to the beginning of verse 1. In my translation, it says, you foolish Galatians. Do you have something like that in yours? Let me read from the Amplified Bible to give you a little more picture of how strong the word is that Paul uses. It says this, Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. You getting a picture? And then we go to the Phillips translation, and it gets really bad. So parents, cover your children's ears right now. Here's how he translated it. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatians. Wow. Wow. And, and, and this dramatic question in verse 1, Paul starts right off with the fact that, are you hip, hypnotized? That's an interesting biblical word. It means befuddled or bewitched. It means cause to be unable to think clearly. It means to stupefy as with strong drink. So Paul is saying here, you Galatians, you obviously had not been using your minds. In fact, a bunch of you have drunk the Judaizers' Kool-Aid. How about that? Very strong section here. So he's basically asking this dramatic question in verse 1, who has led you astray? And some translations give the picture of evil eye. Have you ever heard of that phrase before? It's the only time it's listed here in the New Testament. Of course, the concept is persistent in the Old Testament. And so we can go back and forth on what all that means exactly. But what I want you to see is the contrast here. Paul says, have you been hypnotized? Has there been an evil eye even? Something going on in your life? What a contrast between Paul giving their eyes, which he's already done, a clear picture picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's how this section begins. Let's look at rhetorical question number one, which you find in verse two. I'm going to restate it for you. Here's how I restate it. Why go back to the law when it was hearing and faith that brought the life of God into into your life? So these questions obviously have an obvious answer that Paul doesn't even need to state, that we would understand. See, Paul's describing the Christian life in terms of what had occurred in their lives. Remember, this is to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, and they started out well with the gospel, but something has derailed them. And I want us to remember today that justification is God's activity in salvation. It's not us, it's God. And receiving His Spirit... That trust, faith, is our experience. So I want you to think about that as well. But I I want you to realize that I'm not saying that we have this 
work that we do in salvation. I'm not saying that. When, when you think about us being able to receive, to trust, to have faith in God's Spirit, in God reaching out to us, that refers not to us having some self-prompting taking, like, oh, I figured this out, I will go take it. No, what it's referring to is this. It's a grateful reception of what God is offering. Aren't you glad? God offers salvation. In Ephesians it says what? It's a gift of God. And we can receive that. We can trust in that. So I'd ask you today, have you done that in your life? Has that happened in your life? I want you to think about that for a minute. Have you received, have you trusted in God's gift and offer of salvation? Well, let's move to verse 3 and see the second rhetorical question. He starts off by, again, making a foolish a comment about them being foolish. And he says, after beginning with the Spirit, we're, uh, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? That foolish is such a strong word. This question, I believe, raises the contrast between Spirit, God's Spirit, and the flesh. And we'll unpack that more as we get far, further into the book of Galatians. But he's, he's stating and he understands how foolish it must be to start with God, to start with his presence, with his spirit in their lives, and then go to the flesh. We could say go to human nature, go to works that are separate from God. Do you think that resonates in our country today in the year 2020? How many folks... It appears have started with God and then wandered over to human this or that or that. And I want to tell you, anytime, if our, our church ever takes a turn this way or that way, and it's not about God and his scripture, his infallible scripture, we need to have a change. We need to adjust things because... It, it, this is a perfect example of folks that started so well, churches that started so well, and then got off track. How about you? Where are you today? Perhaps you got off track with God. Maybe it's time to get back on track. Then we get to the next question, question three in verse four, and I would just restate it this way. Paul's basically asking them, did you learn anything? Any parents or grandparents in here today? Great-grandparents? Did, have you ever said that? I can remember times I've said that. Listen, insert one of the boys' names. Did you learn anything? That was usually, fall, that was usually after a spanking and wailing and gnashing of teeth and just the wrong thing that had been done. Did you learn anything? Sometimes it was a good answer. Sometimes it was not a good answer. But here he's saying, did you learn anything? He uses the word suffer here in verse 4. Now that can mean, that word can mean a bad experience, like to suffer, or it can be, mean a more in a neutral sense, like to experience. Usually it's more of the to suffer type, but, but what I want you to see is regardless of how you interpret that word, the point is this, did you learn or has all this been wasted? Has it been wasted? Paul in this verse also adds a conditional clause. Did you catch it? If it really was for nothing, perhaps in your, your version of Scripture, it has that dash in there, that line that shows us it's a clause that he's added. He, he, this is very important. Let's not miss this when he says, if it really was for nothing, 
What I believe that he's saying there is the situation in Galatia is perilous, but guess what? It's not hopeless. It's not over. The fat lady hasn't sung yet. It's not over. And I want you to remind you of something. Think about church history for a minute, if you will, church. As we look at church history, we see periods of doctrinal decline. Have you seen that? If you study that, there's periods of doctrinal decline or there's periods of spiritual apathy as if the church goes away, as if the way goes away, Christians go away. But what is amazing to me is these periods of either decline or apathy often precede, guess what? Great periods of reformation and revival. Study it. Look at it. Throughout the world, even in our country, we can look back at great awakenings and different things. We, we see this happen. And so what about you? That's my prayer is, God, we're, we're in a period of doctrinal decline. Lord, we are in a period of spiritual apathy. God, send reformation. God, send revival. And let it start right here in our church, in our families in our lives. So I would ask you, where are you today on that scale? Are you more on the decline or the revival scale? God can do a work in your life and in my life. Then we get to the final rhetorical question, number four. It's in verse five when Paul writes this, so then does God supply you with the spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? What I think Paul does here is he's rewording, he's restating the very first question, rhetorical question that he asked them. He's reminding them of the wonderful things that God had done in their lives. Can I just stop for a minute and say this to you, church? When's the last time you've taken an inventory, you've looked back, now this is like an experiencing God statement for those of you who've been through that study, but look back and seen all the wonderful things that God had done in your life. Maybe you didn't see it at that time, but as you look back, they stand as spiritual markers in your life, just so clear, God working in our lives. Don't we tend to uh, get bogged down in the current, anybody, in what's happening today? Come on, don't we? My heart is so burdened today for, for people that have lost dear loved ones to this crazy virus. My son has a dear friend that just passed away yesterday. The leader of the Colorado Baptist had his, his pastor, his mentor, just pass away. I could go on and on of these connections. And it's so easy sometimes for me. God had to give me a swift kick to not just be burdened and not just be stuck there, but realize all the wonderful things that God has done. And, and here they're being reminded of that. He says, do you remember those things? First one, he gave you, God has given you his spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Yay, right? And then secondly, he mentions miracles. And I believe God's still in the miracle working business. And we should be fervent in our prayers. Okay? So God has done this for these folks, but not because they were keeping the law, but because of their response of faith to his gospel. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You remember it. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
right now our faith should be being built, right? As we read and study the very words of God, we hear it, we study it, we meditate, we ponder it. Well, these four questions, I believe, were to help the Galatians understand how they were wrong in, in accepting this false gospel in place of God's true and free gospel. Remember this, the Holy Spirit enters a believer's life because of grace, not because of law. Are you tracking with me? So what about you today? Have you received that in your life? Are you still trying to figure out what you can do, or have you just received that in your life? Well, we've got a couple exhibits we need to look at today. We're going to look at Exhibit A and Exhibit C. The reason there's no B, because I didn't have a word to fit with that, but the A and C worked well. <laughs> so let's look at Exhibit A, 6 through 9. It's Abraham. Abraham starts with A, right? And we just read this section, and it's full of Old Testament quotations from the Old Testament. And basically, Paul now is turning from experience, experience, to Scripture. Abraham is unique. Abraham is mentioned 19 times in Paul's letters. There's actually people who do those kind of trivia things. They go and read it and mark it all down. But if you think of all of Paul's epistles in the New Testament, Abraham is mentioned over and over. But my question today is, why Abraham here? And I want you to think about it. I think it's a very practical, simple reason. Why Abraham here? Because Abraham proves Paul's point clearly. I want you to think about it for a minute. The Judaizers were pointing to what? They were saying law, right? They were saying works. They were pointing to the law of Moses. Well, guess what, church? Abraham preceded the law of Moses by some 430 years. And so Paul jumps in and he quotes in verse 6, he quotes Genesis 15, 6. And it's clear, the scripture teaches us that Abraham was saved by faith or that he believed, he trusted, and he was not saved by self-effort. And verse 6 starts off with a little connector, just as, just as. What that does is connect Abraham's faith to the experience that these Christians in the Galatian churches had experienced from the teaching of the free gospel. So it's connected. It goes back to Abraham, and we can see that. Scripture commentates on it. And even today, as I'm writing you this letter, there it is. And I would say even today, as we're reading this, even today, as we're discussing, it's true. We are connected to God's free gospel. It's offered to anyone. So we have this picture of Paul's positive argument for justification by faith. Now, I want to say a little bit more about justification. We've been talking about it. We're talking about it here. We'll talk about it more. Really, it's the, the whole book. But if you want a definition, I'm going to give you one real quick. So those of you who like to write things down, get ready. Justification is a process, a process by which an individual, a process by which an individual is brought into... An individual is brought into an unmerited right relationship with God. I've heard it said, justification, just justification, just as if, just as if I was righteous all along. 
Let me give that to you one more time. It's a process by which an individual is brought into an unmerited right relationship with God. You see, justification marks that point of entry or that transformation. I like to say that regeneration that we have at the moment of salvation when we're made right with God. Holy God who cannot look at sin. Here I am, this sinful, horrible sinner And yet God offers his gospel to me. God saves me. And at that moment, justification happens. And what goes on? It's as if they're gone and I am right with the Lord. And there were no merits of mine that got me to that case. That ought to get you fired up, church, when we think about that. That is a good message to share with other people. It matters not what you've done. It matters not where you live. It matters, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. God loves you, and God is the one who can save you from your sin. I have never uh, witnessed or talked with a person, and they denied that they had ever sinned. It's a common thing for us. Don't be scared of it. Even the atheists will admit they make mistakes. God has a provision for us. And justification occurs at that moment of regeneration. Whew. Let me just give you a little homework. To understand Galatians 3 a little bit more, remember Galatians, I mentioned, I think, in the background study that it's like little Romans. It's like the precursor to Romans. So as we look and think about justification and all these things in chapter 3, we can look at Romans 4 as commentary. So get, get a couple Bibles out and just go back and forth, back and forth, and, and see how that is connected. Well, Paul then speaks in verses 7 through 9 to the concept of true children of Abraham. Now, this may not be a big deal for us in 2020, mainly a bunch of Gentiles in the United States of America, but to his hearers and readers, they understood Immediately, this concept of children, sons and daughters of Abraham. And so, uh, it, it, I, I think it just probably popped in their minds as they looked at that. He speaks about this. And he says that Christians are justified in the same way that Abraham was, and it's by faith. Romans 4.16, let me read it for you real quick. For this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that would be the Jewish descendants, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. Continuing in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I want you to think about this today. Let's let's make sure we understand this today. Human works do not achieve or earn acceptance by God. There's nothing that we can do to earn that. The exercise of faith alone, as God presents this free gift of salvation to us, it's what ushers us into unmerited right relationship with God. Go back to Galatians chapter 2, which we did a couple weeks ago, and look at verse 16. 
Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the words works of the law, no human being will be justified. You notice the style of writing that Paul has. It's even more severe in the Greek. It's just one sentence. It's a, you English teachers would hate that. It's a run-on sentence. Da, 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 just clause and clause and phrase after phrase. But is that not clear to us? I think it is. He writes of it in Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Listen, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Another message that people around us are dying to hear, that there is hope, not just hope and purpose for right now, but even throughout eternity there is hope, and it's Jesus Christ. Well, I think these verses right here are a stinging rebuke to the Judaizers. These two points that Abraham's family is, is redefined. He's redefining it in a biblical model. doesn't matter. You're the son of the son of the son of. It doesn't matter. Here's the biblical model. And secondly, that the blessing promised through Abraham goes to all the nations. It's right there in the scripture. He's quoting the Old Testament. And I think verse 9 is a summary for this section. And Paul writes, so those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Do you get it? Are you getting it? Are you seeing what he's talking about here? Well, let's move to Exhibit C. Exhibit C, verses 10 through 14. I've entitled this, The Curse and Christ. See how I got the C there? See how I did that? Yeah. Yeah, I graduated from high school. I I really did. (laughs) The Curse and the Christ. And we see that in verses 10 through 14. Paul's now giving, I think, instead of a positive argument, he's got a negative argument here. And it's against any possibility of justification by works. Look at verse 10. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. And it shows the curse of the law. No person could keep all the law. We were all under the curse. Look at the person next to you with your mask on and say, you were cursed, buddy. Just go ahead and just let them have it. Just let them have it. It's clear. No one can keep the law, all of it. No matter how pious you are, you're going to mess up. And Paul quotes that. In verse 11, he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And he talks about faith here. Now, when, he's, when you think about Habakkuk and faith, think faithfulness. Faithfulness with the idea of trusting God. It's a little bigger picture, but, but he quotes there. Basically, he's saying, okay, nobody can keep the law. You're cursed. I'm cursed, we're all cursed. However, we can live outside of that curse through faith. Habakkuk 2.4. Then we get to uh, verse 12, and Paul quotes again from Scripture from the Old Testament, Leviticus 18.5, showing to them the law requires doing and not trusting. The law doesn't require trusting, it just requires doing. Now, if we stopped there, I would be real depressed. I would go home, take a nap, and just be sad. However, there's more than the curse. There is 
Christ. Verses 13 and 14. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And there he is. Verse 13 starts out and says what? Christ has redeemed. You see, it is Christ who's redeemed us from the curse. The word redeemed is a great and interesting word. It means to buy off. It means to set free by payment of a price. Did you catch that? It was used to describe the slaves who would be purchased and set freed. In fact, if you look at the word redemption, redeemed, redemption, the root of redemption is agora, which means marketplace. It gives the picture of the Roman slave auctions. Boy, that must have caught their attention. Look, Christ has redeemed. It's as if, and you are, do you remember, Galatians? A slave to sin, and Jesus purchased the price to set you free from your sin. Amen? Amen. Think about that. We have been bought with a price. The ransom for our sins was nothing less than the very lifeblood of the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, the one-of-a-kind Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We call this, Jesus is, it's, I know it's a big word to say, but substitutionary atonement. A very important doctrine. He paid the price he took at the place. Are you getting this? Remember, the grace found in God's free gospel is superior to the law because the law demands works. Grace requires faith. So let me close in this way today. Paul saw that Jesus bore a curse. When you look at verses 13, and 14, it's clear. He even quotes the Old Testament talking about hanging from the tree. I mean, it's a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus, right? You remember back towards the end of chapter 2 that we finished? I am crucified with Christ. It's just in their minds. It's just Paul is sharing this. And, and he says, Jesus bore curse, but it was not for himself. You see, Jesus' resurrection vindicated Jesus as God's anointed solution to my sin disease, to your sin disease. And through his death, not only did Jesus bear that curse, but hallelujah, Jesus broke the curse. He broke the curse. We're not all shepherds today, are we? We're not all trying to get the perfect lamb without a blemish and making a sacrifice. No, Jesus broke the curse on humankind. Jesus provided the necessary alternative, and it's to all people. Look at verse 14 again. I think it's clear. The purpose, here's the purpose, was that the blessing of Abraham, remember he was credited as righteous, would come to the Gentiles, that's me, in Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Anyone, anyone I believe can trust, can have faith in Christ. Now, we acknowledge that God gives us the faith to do that, but we can do that through His working in our life. We can experience life in right relationship with God. In fact, today, you may be wondering about this. Can I really experience life, new life in Christ? You can. You can. God draws you to himself. And you start wondering and asking these questions and feeling a tugging in your heart. It's God. 
And he's saying, I died for you. I paid the price for your sin. Come to me by faith. Believe in me. And you can have a right relationship with me. Even eternal life with me. Well, let's apply this today as we finish. First of all, here's the first application. We are justified by faith alone. But the faith that justifies us is not alone. See, I told you I get a little bit of James in there, right? Did you catch that? Listen again. Don't miss that. We are justified by faith alone. But the faith that justifies us is not alone. It's going to spur life change in us. We're going to be different because of that. Secondly, it is our job. I believe it's clear what Paul is doing here. It is our job as Christians to help people distinguish between legalism and righteousness that comes by faith. Perhaps you have a family member that's struggling with that. Perhaps you know someone in a tradition that emphasized works, hoops that you had to jump through. It's our responsibility to make clear, no, the free gospel is different. Number three, our inability of not obeying the Ten Commandments shows our need for Jesus and His grace. Anybody in here kept all ten? And I'm not talking about everything else in Scripture. Just in the Exodus right there, the Ten Commandments. How many of you kept them all perfectly? Man, I was hoping someone would raise their hand because I was going to say, Thou shalt not lie. <laughs> oh, man. It just shows we've got a need for Jesus and His grace. And then here's another application. If observing the law could have saved us, then God would never have sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. There'd be no need. Ponder that. Romans 3.23. I come back to all the time, that verse that says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's define that. That means of God's holy, perfect perfection. We've all missed the mark. So today, let us rejoice that we can have the opportunity to live under God's blessing and not sin's curse. Have some of you been redeemed by Christ in this room? Online, have you? Let us rejoice that the curse is broken and we receive the blessing of right relationship with God. And I would just say to you today, which is it for you? What are you living under? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks into our lives. And whether you're to my right or to my left, whether it's the person speaking like me or folks listening, whether it's here in this room or online, you customize your word for us. And the words on, on the page jump out and speak to us. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for life change. We thank you for your free gospel. We thank you for the fact that you give us this simple childlike faith and we can just trust you. And you are the one who is all-powerful and you can save us from sin. You can give our life meaning and purpose. You are the one who places us in right relationship with you and we thank you for that, God. Help us to realize it's you and what you've done for us. And God, may that spur us on to share this good news with others. And today, God, I'm praying for those who have been presented today the clear difference between works and law and legalism, 
legalism and the difference of that with just the fact of faith in your free gospel. God, I pray that you would have the light bulb go on for people today and that people would be saved. God, is our prayer today that lives would be changed and that we would live a life for your glory. We thank you for the evidence of what happens in our life as we walk with you, and we're grateful. God, I thank you that I'm not just a child of Abraham and the blessing, but I'm a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for that, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.